Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Cinema D'Amore. I'm your host, Chuck Phillips, joined by... Your other host, Justin Morgan. And we're finishing up Stanley Kubrick. We went crazy, went went uh, off track. I think we lost some time there. Maybe jumped into the 80s and then had to go back to the 70s for for this one. Usually we're staying in uh, chronological order, but I don't know. Except for some reason, we just went out and changed the order this month. Yeah, no one special of the few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't on purpose. We just, we just, it just happened. I only have two more Kubrick films to watch. I've seen everything, but I still have to watch Full Metal Jacket, and I still have to watch Eyes Wide Shut. Because why not? Even if we're not yeah. talking about it, might as well watch two more. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty close on Eyes Wide Shut. We only just did that. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was like I feel like it's within like the past six months or so that we would have done that one possibly. But yeah, we're talking about way longer ago. Is it, is it further back? Oh yeah, it, it was. was it, it had to be like, like 2019. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic was, will do that to you. It just yeah, losing track of time. But yeah, this week we're talking about uh, a Clockwork Orange. Which I would say is my favorite Kubrick film. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do love I, this I movie. don't know what that says about you. Yeah. Do you like reform or ultraviolence? I love that ultraviolence. And you know, you know this personally, I like my milk. <laughs> you do like milk. That, that's, that's what sells you. That's what sells you immediately. Uh, is but you the didn't very have drug-induced milk, did you? Have you? I mean, sh- that's some spoiled milk. milk. That's okay. some spoiled, you know. That that date gets a little close, and you just you just chug it and try not to notice. So you know that's happened before. But yeah, that's 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 one of the. That, this is the second film that we've talked about this year, where the the sure sign that someone's an evil character is that they love to drink it. They love to drink milk. That's also in uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. Javier Bardem's, uh, you know, just t- sits back and relaxes with a nice ice cold glass of milk. His is even more of a violation. It's other people's milk. Yeah, it's he's taking it from someone else. But yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's weird. I, I feel like you kind of almost summed it up pretty good last week when you said that 2001 is probably his best movie as an overall, like, just work of art. It is probably his best. But I don't know. There's something about a Clockwork Orange that just works for me. It's this one. This is maybe his most. I don't even want to say like experimental is not the right word because I don't necessarily think that's who he's going for. But he has a lot of weird stuff in this movie that he didn't necessarily try in any other film. Like he does a lot of that almost like a precursor to the stuff that Oliver Stone did with like like either ramping speed up, like going going back and forth to making things way too ridiculously fast and then going to things being way too insanely slow to, to like mimic that drug-induced kind of uh, headspace that the main character is in in this film. Uh, he uses that a lot, and I, th- I think it works very well. And it also does have one of my favorite fight scenes in any film, which is when the two gangs fight each other, and it just... It is comical, almost like a Three Stooges thing with them breaking chairs over each other's faces. But the way they just go full force, like drop kicking each other through tables and are just going insane in that one scene. Uh, 
I don't know. I just find that really entertaining. Yeah, and the gangs have that the warrior style gangs they do. where each gang they, they, has to yeah. have like some weird look to them. Yeah, the way they dress up are these uh the main droogs uh along with Alex as the leader dress up in like a weird I don't even know what to describe their style is like a almost like feels like they're trying to be like mimes or something. They wear giant cod pieces and uh white uh, white everything with suspenders but they all wear like black bowler hats makeup and then they have like weird eyeballs and like special stuff effect attached to their outside yeah, of their stuff. yeah special things attached to their to their outfits they fight the, the gang that they fight in that empty like theater or something looks exactly like a gang from the from the warriors too they're like all in the denim they almost look like the luther's gang from the warriors <laughs> the way they're dressed but yeah, this movie, I feel like this movie does have a lot of a lot of ideas that they're they're trying to present. And I think it's probably I would say like it's a shame that I think only people only look at the violence in the film and don't look to the a lot of like the interesting story ideas that were going on. And a lot of a lot of the ideas about uh, like politics, religion, the, the prison system in general that that are going on in this film. They're all just like, Oh, it's, it's just a super Anyone can film. become a cop. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of the biggest things. Uh, you know, when we start out, we have our main characters and they, they immediately go into that, uh, that fake language NADSAT that the author came up with, which I do. I do love how, when I read they, that they, book, I had a cheat sheet with me. I know. Yeah. I literally I, printed a thing off the internet that, told me what certain things meant some things you can figure out but yeah you could pick up on some of them i think some of the like newer editions they started like putting a glossary in the back of the book which i feel like that's the only other book i've seen that with other than Ooh. dune which I don't had know to mine do that has one like that i don't know it might only be certain editions of it but i've seen some that they that they did put something in uh but yeah it's i, I love that language everything that comes like, up with like where he's like welly 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 well yeah, there... yeah. A lot of the stuff is like almost like, uh, yeah. The way he talks is is very childlike sometimes. Like, like, come on, I want my eggy waggies. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he comes up with those things, and then uh, I think the I think the one that he that he says probably the most is Viddy, which is C, like... which which is like video. Yeah, like that's they say like long time no Viddy. He says that a, a character say that a lot. Honestly, if you watch it with subtitles, I think it helps a great deal of just like visually seeing it. You're like, yeah. have a better grasp on the things that they're saying. Because I had it's a harder hard time reading the, the book. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I had a harder time reading the book than I did watching the movie. Yeah. And I watched the movie first. Then I read the book. And I still thought the book, I still thought it was like, it took a little bit to click. Like I read one of these books, I think that were Ch- uh, Chuck Palahniuk did Pygmy, which is broken English. And it took me a couple chapters. And then once I got used to it, I was able to read it. He wrote it in broken English and it was just like a headache looking at it <laughs> after getting through it. And the clockwork orange was kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. They have their own language that it, uh, I do enjoy the fact that they didn't dumb it down, I guess for this, like he didn't uh they didn't try to take that out and, and rearrange it or 
make it more normal. He really does present it as you just have to slowly pick up on what they're saying. Uh, they say like vino a lot for blood, which is vino is like Spanish for wine, uh, red wines. Uh, so the, the way their favorite like, milk it, bar it, had the the most inconvenient tables, I think. Everything in that bar is inconvenient. Well, like the mannequins are like, how how can you set a glass on there without it falling off in most places? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they have that, and then they have the uh, the machines with the that dispense the milk that are shaped like women. The the one uh, that's one the most PG version of an explanation of that I've heard. Yeah, we'll just yeah, we'll just, you can just leave it at that and and imagine what that that is. Uh, Although yeah. it's weird because that milk bar, which just, I guess it's, I guess it's sexual in nature. Uh, that general look of like the white, I want to call them mannequins or statues or however you want to, that like, that same art is in several people's homes. And like you see it in Alex's home, you see it in the cat lady's home. It's, it's like. Everybody per- likes the exact same art. It's really weird. It's like that's that's what everyone's used to as art. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what they come across. It seems like uh, yeah, I don't know the way they the way they envision the future is very interesting, and the the look that Kubrick used in the film to translate that comes off as very strange. Like Alex's mom has purple hair for whatever reason she looks like she's in like her 60s but she has purple hair for for seemingly no reason yeah her like, hair like changes a, a couple colors and there's a doctor a, a that's older yeah. with with colored has hair like, and there's like colored hair and it's like they don't they don't necessarily go out of their way to to like really tell you why the future is like this it doesn't go into those kind of details i guess because that's not really the focus of this film not necessarily but it makes on, sense like, to you right yeah, I mean, it seems like it, it the kids seem like that would grow from... up eventually, and I feel like their kids would want to be back to being different from their parents. So, yeah, I think you would have that older generation with the colored hair, and the younger generation that's just fascinated with the like the past, like the classical music. Yeah, and... yeah, which he, which he seems to be like a. Uh, he seems to largely, I guess, be like an an odd sort with something like that. Like that's like almost his rebellious thing is that he likes Ludwig van Beethoven for a young person. Whereas it seems like uh, later on in the film when he, he says he knows the ninth symphony and that doctor's like, you know who Beethoven is? And he's like, yeah, I know who Beethoven is. Like they're surprised that, that a young, a young criminal like that would even know who, uh, who Beethoven is. Uh, But yeah, this film gets right into really right into that violence it just showed you exactly exactly what you're what you're going to expect in this film within the first 10 minutes uh we immediately get them beating an old man on the street just for being a an old beggar and uh, i mean 12 minutes into the movie they're already at those people's house yeah it goes it goes fast how how quickly they they start getting into into the the mayhem in this film uh yeah they beat the old man uh yeah then get to the they drive the car the durango 95 or durango 65 whichever they were hogging the road as they called it hogs of the road is the game they were playing which is people off the road they were just playing chicken with everybody and driving everybody off the road (laughs) yeah i love that shot too of them uh when they go under the truck 
Yeah. Uh, and it looks like it would take everyone's head off, but then they just they it cuts right back to them all like sitting up. The the two in the back seat are like sitting on the on the trunk, like sticking way out. And I'm like, that definitely would have killed them, but okay. <laughs> it's a that that's another fun I love the way they shot that too, because it looks like uh, it just looks ridiculous when they're driving and it's I, I don't know if they did film that in front of a in front of a screen like I feel like yeah, they did because it has that look to it. It reminds me a lot of and I, I don't know if it's an influence but I could see it being one and the Phantom Thread. Um, yeah. It's it's a very slow moving movie but any time that they're in the car it's like that. It's like 100 miles per hour <laughs> like they're going way too fucking fast and I just and there's something about it, like it's that exact angle where I'm like, hmm, I, I how, wonder if it was Clockwork Orange inspired. It's just how everyone drives that way. Uh, yeah, and then they get they get home as they find it, uh, and yeah, attack the writer and his uh, his wife in their home, just beat them. Which he uses his his premise of needing to use their phone, which is apparently uh, apparently that is a way that people just do that that's uh, i've i know there's like several real life instances where it's like well how did he break into the house he said there was an accident on the road and he needed to use the phone and they're just yeah, like people oh, have killed people that way yeah it's a real thing and it's and uh that's the why the police wanna, say to make the call for them yeah and the wife doesn't want to let the people in but the husband says oh come on you gotta if it's a, if it's really an emergency you gotta let them in uh the husband's less subdued than that what yeah. do they need they said there was an accent. They need the phone. Oh, better let them in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're again we're we're very quickly introduced, and then uh, again, Alex's fondness for for all things musical really uh, is is one of the one of the the strangest I don't even know strangest turns on on a popular song that I don't want to say ruins the song, but I don't know if you can ever listen to "Singing in the Rain." You can. Of... <laughs> you can still enjoy it. <laughs> no, I mean you can enjoy it, but but you're always gonna think of like there. I have in my head a connection to this film. Like anytime I I would watch yeah. Singing in the Rain when they sing that song, you're just gonna think of Alex in his uh in his clown mask, uh, kicking the crap out of that old man, <laughs> and and just in general uh being insane. You'll always have that thought instead of, uh, you know, Gene Kelly dancing around. You're going to be thinking of Malcolm McDowell dancing around. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then we, we continue on and just their, the general general lifestyle you get. They, they really set up the showing you everything about Alex's lifestyle that uh, I guess kind of the system that makes someone like him behave that way his parents seem to almost be afraid of him like when he goes back home that night and throws the money and all the things that he robbed from them. well his dad is grady so yeah yeah his his family is definitely uh definitely afraid of him it seems like not that they it almost doesn't seem like he's ever physically hurt any of them but they just uh, they're just scared almost seems like they're scared of young people in general because they know they they get into gangs or something like that. Like when the when the mom tells him, like, "Oh, you need to get up so you can go to school," and he's just like, "Oh, I'm sick. I'm not going to school. Like, leave me alone." And when she tells the dad, and he's just like, "Oh, uh, well, I guess it's better that he stays in bed and doesn't." You doesn't want me to do get anything. my sleep, or else I'm gonna miss way more school. Yeah, yeah. He just yells her to make him. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. 
I think he's supposed I think they're supposed to be like teenagers. Um I don't know how old he was specifically when the movie was made, probably like early twenties. Like I don't think he's he's not that old, but I think they are supposed to be like more like maybe like eighteen, nineteen or something like that. They are a weird gang. They are. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're I really guys. like, especially Dim. I don't like Dim, and I don't think I would let anyone named Dim join my gang, even if it I, was a nickname. I'm sure his I mean, name, birth name is Dim. Is, uh, you know, the thought process is that someone named Dim is easy to easy to control and push around, and he can be your muscle. Uh, which that's that's another great moment. Again, when he. I don't, I don't know something about the way that he shoots like a lot of these slow motion sequences i love when they're all walking along next to the river and it's just that super slow-mo shot oh yeah after they the whole basically thing. had a power play on him and said yeah they're like trying to uh, take you're not running things around here yeah and it's such a that's such a great moment uh yeah he's narrating the whole scene and he's it, it just like it hits him and he's like I know what I have to do, and then just swings the cane and just cracks that one guy right in the crotch. He, like, hits, <laughs> he hits Georgie in the crotch and then knocks him into the water, and then Dim tries to like hit him with a chain, and he moves out of the way. And, yeah, and then when he goes in. to pick, he has a knife cane, so you know he's serious. You know he's cool when he's got the knife cane. I like how he cut him, and he's like, then it, he's yeah, he's still narrating. He's like, I didn't cut any veins. He's like. Yeah. But I had to show him who his boss. But don't worry. Later, I showed him mercy, and it was yeah. him like talking nicely to them in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Then he then he tells them like like that he's still interested in their plan that they had. Yeah, uh, that they were trying to like push earlier to to do like bigger scores and get more money and do more crime. Uh, well, you do get the idea that I I don't know if they're being if Alex was ever fair with splitting the money, but after they hit the writer's house. He threw a huge wad of money in his like and trophy and drawer. Jewelry, yeah, which yeah, I, I feel like that does imply that yeah, that he's probably been keeping most of it himself. He views himself as as the leader and the one that's in charge, and therefore is deserving of you know most of the most of the spoils. And like they probably get a few, you know, he gives them a few dollars here and there. Uh, which yeah, we keep seeing you keep seeing more of that that him losing his control even when he's in the they go back to the milk bar after having that that fight with the other gang and uh that one woman starts singing a song and dim starts laughing and he cracks him in the legs with his cane and that's like the first so he's like it's like i don't like that i i I think i need to leave and he's like he tries to calm him down even then he's like oh you know why did you do that we We, we need to learn your manners yeah he tries to tries to hold up and yeah the georgian dim's big plan is to to get the cat lady and uh rob her of i don't know whatever she has i guess which seems to be uh seems to I be guess all fine she has art is, is yeah <laughs> a lot of a lot of sex art and a giant penis that's a, that's a with very, a butthole yeah <laughs> That's a. Uh, how does she describe it? That's a, that's a very important work of art. I I, actually, I really do love the moment where they can where he confronts her, because he keeps hitting the art. And it's like yeah. that dick in the front of the screen, and she's like, "Stop it!" Like like it's his way of like having yeah. power in the scene. But the whole yeah. conversation's great too, where it's like, "How'd you get in my house?" 
and he's making shit up and he and she's just like no that's not true i don't i don't believe yeah. that. so this is after he uh this is after he tried to use his same ploy from from earlier that worked uh which does does not work this time she's a little more uh she's a little more suspicious than than the first woman and the writer were that this is definitely up to something and even calls the cops immediately after he says he's going to leave the door uh well, she did say, to too, down. that she read the paper and it sounded oddly familiar. Yeah, that it sounded exactly like the like the other incident. Uh, so, yeah. so he, They were, she's like, already... violently hitting her mail slot, too, yeah. uh, when they were, like, knocking on the door. So they were just, like, intense to begin with. Yeah. I do yeah, like them yeah. wrestling around with, like, the, the giant dick statue. <laughs> it's a yeah. good moment. When he finally finally hits her with it and it cuts to that uh, art it's yeah. like it cuts the art it's funny uh, yeah goes to that and then and then yeah then when he goes outside he tries yeah, to how make they get his, him, Chuck. his big escape they get him with the milk <laughs> they smash him in the face with milk. which again that's I, I don't know why i love i i love every all those shots that that he uses like there is something that looks it looks so real and painful when they just break that bot, smash that bottle right in his face in slow mo. Like, just take that that milk bottle and just crack it in his face. Yeah, uh, I mean, it might have hurt to some degree. Knowing Kubrick, they do make breakaway glass. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. it still would hurt to some degree. You're hitting the face with it. That that's what takes him out. Uh, and then when he's when he's hit the police station, he gets that. Uh, that we 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 skipped over that weird guy. That's his. Uh, his advisor or whatever yeah, his, they... his, his advisor like it sounds like basically like a guidance counselor but it also he does imply that that the that alex is already in some sort of like you're like, out late yes yeah, some sort of uh he's already in some sort of like reform school like he's probably been kicked out of every other school it feels like a it was making me think of like Akira, like all those characters that are in like the, that school. That's like your your last chance before you're going to go to prison forever if you don't uh, if you don't take care of this. Like that's that's it. Um, but yeah, that, that whole scene with that guy when he's just like hanging out in his room and he's like, "How did you get in?" He's like, "Oh, I got a key." Your mother invited me in. Yeah, and then it's so weird too because like he's sitting there talking to him. And then he's he grabs him by the balls, and then he's drinking that water, and it has like dentures in it. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, he doesn't realize that till the end. Uh, but yeah, then he comes back later, and that's when uh, that's when we're told that that Alex isn't just a you know he thinks he's going to get off with the crime because it was just a simple you know he broke in and and beat her up like oh it's just an assault like uh, you can you know I'll be back out in like you know a month or something like that and then uh finds out he was arrested for murder because he killed her and that's when his life really goes downhill yep that's when he becomes five sorry six five five three two one six double five three two one that's like another class i don't know why that's that's a joke that like never gets old because it is almost it's the same as uh uh Hudsucker proxy, like here's your number. Don't forget it. If you forget that number, like <laughs> you'll be severely punished. Like they just it's all tied together. First time. Yeah, we're, it's your yeah, second we're, connection with Cohen Brothers. There, we're all we're all connecting back there. Uh, he also does the joke that I feel like was uh, 
that they might have used for Blues Brothers, like stand behind the line, and he has to like lean way over to get to the counter to to get his stuff, which is the yeah. the joke they make in this. Set film. that down with respect. Yeah, yeah. The that guy made me think of kept making me think of like John Cleese. Like I feel like yeah. that would have been like like he was he was doing like like a character from Monty Python or something where he's like so over the top with the way he like screams all of his orders at at Alex. When he tells him like shut your hole. <laughs> he just, just keeps telling him that numerous times. Uh you'll get this back except for the candy and the cigarettes. That yeah. is, Those are is, confiscated. is confiscated by the state. They keep going. I love the way to uh he like has it where everyone's talking over each other like the one guy's saying like cataloging everything he's like one blue suit pinstripe then you've got the the guard like screaming out his orders about like what what it's going to be like in prison while alex is trying to answer the questions about what's going on so you have like four different characters all talking at the same time and they just keep talking over each other the entire scene but it works perfectly like it doesn't like they never feel like they're that you're missing any information. It feels like you're picking up on every single bit of information from these four people just going back and forth. Yeah, and I mean, this is where the start of the film, at least the themes, really start to take off because the beginning is the monster and then becomes the question of, like, it does rehabilitation work? Especially yeah. government-led. You know what I mean? Um there is interesting things too. I have the book that is, has the UK. It's like the UK version that has that extra chapter on it that the United States never got. So Kubrick never knew about it till after he made his movie. Yeah. Which that's, that's still, that's a funny story. Well, I I think we can get that when we get to the ending, but that, that's one of the funniest, that's one of the funniest things that, that I ever heard about that film when I found that piece of information out. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 I would agree. Yeah. This is where you're starting to get some interesting thoughts. I, I like that. He, he joins up with uh, like the chaplain of the, the prison. Like he seemed like he's, he, he thinks like that's the, that's the ticket to like get out early or something like that is to like show you do good behavior. I mean, come on. I feel like that's they, what they most of there. most people do. Yeah. They're up for probation, and they say, "Oh, I found Jesus." Mm. Yeah, but uh, convenient. But uh, yeah, well, that's that's. I think uh, I love the fantasy sequences that we get, where he talks about you know reading the Bible, and like saying like, "Oh, I enjoyed it," but then like you see all the uh, all of his fantasy sequences are where like he's the villain in the Bible, like he's the guy whipping Jesus, and he talks about like being Pontius Pilate and stuff like that, and. We see like uh, we see him like flashback to all these moments that he that he keeps thinking about, and they're all the parts where it's like, like don't be like this guy, and he's always that guy. Like he's clearly taking all the wrong lessons from this as he's reading it, uh, or it's just like feeding into his uh, warped mental state that he's like, he's like, ah, oh, that guy, that guy that whipped him sounds pretty cool. Like that'd probably be what I was doing if I was back in those times. Like, yeah, and that was the height of Roman fashion. Yeah. So I, I love that we get that you you get his his perspective on it, which uh, everyone else seems to buy in that that he's this model prisoner. The the chaplain seems to think like, oh yeah, he's he's great, like he, he's perfect behavior, like he doesn't do anything. Not wrong. everybody, but yeah, the chaplain believes. Yeah. Him. Well, seemingly the that that guard's like the only one that I think sees through it. Although 
that's also that also feels like maybe that's just evident of that's how like all prison guards it it seems like would feel like like oh there's there's no point in in reformation like he deserves to stay in prison forever because he killed someone there like a lot of people just don't even have that thought of prison I mean, as fuck, being a reform I think 14 thing. years is not bad for murdering somebody yeah this was the it's the 70s you can get away with more stuff i guess i, I mean it was the future what are you talking about heck, yeah <laughs> i don't know what year it's supposed to be but you can get Sentences away with stuff got like light. that yeah Maybe there wasn't it was even just, the degree. It was just straight up yeah. murder. Yeah, yeah, murder. Yeah, it happens. He got mar- marked as a murderer. The only bit that you get that prison was rough that he might have been like raped himself or whatever was like that guy that was giving him like the kissy faces and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, then and he, the guard he, seems real disgusted by it. Yeah, <laughs> he seems disgusted by everything, but yeah, that in particular. Uh, but yeah, he. When he brings up that idea of getting that experimental treatment that he that he says that he's heard so much about, uh, we get kind of that other main point from the from the priest about, you know, well, how is it, you know, how could you be reformed if they're just gonna like change your mind? Like that's not really being reformed. That's just them taking away your option of being, you know, having choice to be a criminal. Like basically saying, you know, I don't want you to be a criminal. But it's your choice if you want to do terrible things. Like if you, I mean, if I the government had their you, point. They're just trying to reduce crime. Yeah, they don't care. They're just, they're just trying to reduce crime and empty out the prisons. Is basically, uh, they they see it as a, a cost cutting measure to that if we can get the people back out of prison and just back to being out on the streets, but incapable of of committing any more crimes, that that's a win. Uh, but yeah, that he he gets they, 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 yeah they. Essentially, it's not really like a reform as much as it is they condition him to feel sick to his stomach. Yeah, it's just if he has violent, violent thoughts or sexual, overly sexual thoughts. Yeah. Um, and also, if he hears Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, unfortunately, just a, that's like a side an, effect an, of unfortunate of, side effect <laughs> of the conditioning. Uh, Which, yeah, the way com- the way they tell him that is, is great when when they're like. He's like, I, yeah, I love Beethoven, and they're like, the woman's like, should we turn the music off? And that guy's just like, eh, it's just gonna, it's just an unfortunate side effect. <laughs> like he's just like, I don't have any other alternate plan for this. Like, I guess he's just gonna hate Beethoven as well. Yeah, it's interesting too, where they have his like, his eyes pried open so he can't look away, and they have all these like things on him to read his thought, like his, I don't know how he's feeling. And they basically watch like a weird snuff film. And he's like, I started to feel sick when like the sixth or seventh guy was doing his thing. Yeah. yeah and then, then he had like a real bad gag reflex too. They they showed the test. It, like, it's really weird because they were showing the one thing that was like sexual. And the one person in the audience was like kind of like getting off to it. Like, ooh, that girl that came out. Yeah. And yeah, it's funny because, like, his thoughts are like, oh, yeah. And then quickly he hits that gag reflex and he's like, oh, I can't do it. Yeah. As soon as it, yeah, as soon as it hits him, which, which, uh, again, very much tells you that the, uh, the conditioning itself almost doesn't even really work because it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even eliminate his violent and, uh, sexual thoughts. Like, he still very much wants to, like, hit that guy that came out and started slapping him around. 
he was just completely incapable of doing it. So it's like you didn't even take the the urge away from him the being violent. He still wants to try, but it just like he just can't. Uh, and yeah, they 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 view it as a success from that uh, that government official. And again, the the priest is like the only person that that says like this isn't the uh, you know this isn't all you've done is just take away his free will. Like it's not the same. As... I mean, he does reduce his sentence greatly by taking that deal. Yeah, yeah, he gets out after I think I think they said he was only in for two years at the at the point that he got into the treatment, which was his own goal. And that's that's every time he narrates, you know that that was his. That's just his plan the whole time was just to just to get out early like he never really I think that's had one of the that's of... one of the small differences in the book. Uh he doesn't have a choice in the book. Yeah. I don't really remember what else. I don't think singing in the rain is in the fucking book either. <laughs> but um I do like when he finally gets released and he goes home and that guy it just happens to be in his house with his parents. Joe. Joe. And he find, and he wants to like fight him because he gets up in his face and he immediately starts having that gag reflex and he's coughing. And Joe's like, like disgusted. God, like, will you your, cover, cover your, your mouth? mouth. <laughs> yeah. That's enough to put you off a of dinner. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a great, I, I love when, uh, when we get introduced to Joe. Yeah. When he walks in and, and, uh, when he talks to his dad for like five minutes and then just goes, Hey dad, there's a guy on the couch over there <laughs> <laughs> sitting next to mom. What's going on? It is funny. Cause they don't mention him for the, like you said, five minutes or something Yeah, while he just sits there. And then, you know, yeah, that guy, that guy is telling him, you know, I've been more of a son to them than you ever were. I take care of your parents now. Like they, they just straight up replaced him with, with somebody else now. It's so strange because, like, when his advisor was in there earlier, I thought it was like something sexual with his mom that his dad was like okay with, and then this felt almost exactly the same. Where he he was like sitting on the couch with the mom, and the dad was across from them, and I'm like, is there some weird thing going on? But like <laughs> this other guy that's renting his Alex's room, yeah. Then we do find out that the government took all his stuff and. And there was an unfortunate accident with his snake. Yeah, yeah, he he had an accident and died. Uh, but yeah, it's just as soon as he gets out of prison, uh, it's like that's a great moment of he feels like he, I kind of like get that sense like oh he feels like he's on top of the world like I beat the system I got out of prison, but then everything just immediately starts going downhill like it has like a weird Christmas house. story feel to it where it just like everything that he's run into earlier in the movie has now turned against him. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every, every instance he keeps going to all these places, uh, his parents basically kick him out. Cause they're like, well, we can't kick Joe out. He already paid for next month's rent. Like, and he's got a two year contract at his job. Like we can't, we can't kick Joe out. We have to, that wouldn't be fair to him. Uh, which it I love immediately the... goes into him walking along the river and the homeless guy asking him for money. And then the homeless guy recognizes him because he's the homeless guy that they all beat up <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Then when he's going under the tunnel, he like calls all the homeless guys. He calls, to... Yeah, he calls the homeless army to attack. <laughs> so he gets beat up. Be beating him up. And then, uh, and then yeah, 
the the last <laughs> thing you're expecting when the cops show up, and it's uh, Dim and Georgie. Yeah. Which uh, that, that's another. That's one of those. And then they're like, too. "They'll let anyone be cops." <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Shit. Which that is that feels very much accurate to real life. Uh, real life today. <laughs> anyone can be. Where it's kind of like they. I feel like they don't. Uh, no one likes to say it that much, but it's like the same with like the cops and the military. That it's like that that kid that you went to school with that was like stupid like like kind of a dumb bully like pushed people around was obsessed with like obsessed with like guns and other weird stuff and then it's like where's that guy now oh he's a cop and you're just like of course he is like of course or like he joined yeah, the and they, like they take him they, they like pick him up as if he committed the crime and they take him out into the woods to like drown him in like a I don't know what it is, a refrigerator or a bathtub or something that's out there. And holy fuck, like, it's a long shot. They have him, they have Malcolm McDowell under the water for, like, yeah. two minutes, if not longer, yeah. it feels. While that guy's beating him with his nightstick and uh, Dim's holding him, which, yeah, that's what he does tell him. He's like, he's like, it's not Dim anymore. It's, like, Officer David or something like he that. He just says Officer. He, he doesn't even have a name. He's like, yeah. it's Officer now. So yeah. he's Officer nothing, I guess. Yeah, he's something, but yeah, that's uh, he is something. Like I said, and then he's all beat up and confused, and he ends up going back to the to the writer's house uh, where he they yeah. raped that woman he earlier. Went, in he the went home. He went home, as he said. Uh, which and it's 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 <laughs> great I, some, too. There's something weird about the way they the way they reset that exact same shot from the from the beginning of the movie. Like he films it in the exact same way, starting on the writer, and then uh, you hear something at the door, and it slowly pans over. Like in the in that opening shot, it's the wife sitting in that weird. She's like, like in a pod, pod reading a book. Yeah, but it's like it's that exact scene of them. They slowly pan over from the from the writer to her sitting there uh, when she goes to get the door. But this time, when you see the writer, and you just hear someone breathing real heavy in the back, and then it just cuts over, and it's just this. <laughs> bodybuilder over there lifting weights in the corner in the same spot that the Julian. used to be. And he's like he's like, I'll go get the door. Like there's just something funny about the I don't know if he was like a son or a lover or what he was yeah, supposed to be. It's very yeah, it's very ambiguous as the of the relationship. What, what's, yeah, what's going on there. He uh I mean he obviously he he's the opposite of the writer. He's very strong and the writer's like very weak. Yeah. That that feels like, uh, yeah. The way I took it was that that basically like he would just pay this guy to stay here because he's like so terrified that someone's gonna come back and and like hurt him again that he gets this this muscle guy and like lets him live there for free just to just to like protect him or something like that. We see it looks like he has like a lot more locks on the door. I think when uh yeah. when Julian goes to unlock it, there's more locks there. Like he's definitely still afraid that that something like that's going to happen again to him. So he, he takes like extra precautions. Uh, it's interesting too. Cause like Julian opens the door, Alex collapses and he brings him inside and the writer's talking to him. And that's when Alex re- recognizes the guy and realizes where he's at. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, they'll never recognize me because I was wearing a mask. Yeah. I was wearing that clown mask. So I'm, I'm golden. 
And they're like, oh, well, we're going to get you a nice hot shower. And he's like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. And but now he, when he's wait, feeling he good, does, he starts. He does do the, uh, the, the writer does do the, I know you. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, uh, and he's like, I saw you in the paper. Yeah. You're that, you're that young man that they, uh, that they tortured and did those tests on. Like, like, I, I feel bad for you. Like, oh yeah, you're that, right. That Cause he says the... the police beat him up and the, and, and the, writer was like yeah they do that shit all the time yeah he says they like dump people in the woods which i guess is yeah that's probably why they have that that like pool of water or whatever because they take people out and like beat them up and leave them out there for dead i feel like they have to kill most of them i don't know i don't think i could survive that long under the water yeah but uh but yeah he slowly uh he finally has someone that's gonna help him but then he just can't help himself he loves that he loves his classics Starts, starts singing Kelly. in the rain, uh, which yeah, the, the <laughs> it gives the guy PTSD. Yeah, the only thing that could give him away. The, I don't really know if that's as funny as I think it is, but it is. It is good. Him like, singing in the bathtub, and then they show the guy freaking out downstairs. Yeah, he has listening. that same. Uh, he does that same shot like from under, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. It's like a real low shot of him outside the door, and he's like, yeah. He's like, the uh, the old man makes me think of Hector Salamanca all the time, yeah. especially when he gets that angry face. Like he, he looks like Hector when he's like starts like ringing his bell like real fast when he's getting like agitated. I, I do like the scene too, where it's like uh, it might still be that. I think it's still that night. Yeah, and he's down there eating the spaghetti, and you see the door shut, and you're like, "Where is everybody?" And then the strong guy comes out of like the dark corner, holding the guy the in the wheelchair. wheelchair. Yeah, carrying the wheelchair down the steps, and then, then when they both just sit there and stare at him super intently, and he starts getting—that's uh, when he starts to at first get get nervous that that something's gonna happen. Well, like he definitely thinks wine. that wine's poison, and he keeps drinking yeah. it. Like, yeah, he, he feels smelling like, it, uncomfortable. The color. You guys aren't gonna have wine? No, I don't like it. And then he just offers it to the strong man. He just goes, "No thanks." He's just like, "Okay, I guess I'm just gonna drink this by myself then." Yeah, like, and he's like, well, why don't you have another? Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he invites his friends over uh, to ask him some questions, which that's when they, you know, they, they first ask, like, oh, I heard you can't uh, listen to music anymore. And he's like, oh, no, I can listen to music. Just I can't listen to Beethoven, especially the Ninth Symphony. It makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> and they're like, is that so? Right before he passes out into his uh, spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah. At least they, they, uh, at least he made it that long. I mean, he was really making him down that wine. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he gets after it. But then, uh, when they put him up in that room and start playing Beethoven, uh, that leads to uh, one of the more, uh, I do enjoy the shot of them just pitching the camera out the window to show him killing himself. And that was like, it's like, how can we show him killing himself? They're like, "Eh, just throw the camera out the window, I guess. Just let it drop wherever. There's no fancy rig we can make for this. No, just throw it out the window. We'll get the film later. Hopefully we didn't fuck it up. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, he looks those... pretty good falling out the window, too. Yeah, taking his dive. I don't know if... I guess that was the plan. He'll just jump. He'll kill himself. <laughs> it didn't even look that high. Like it, 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 Like, it didn't even seem like that big of a house when he's like... I mean, obviously, he was just trying to trying to do anything. Well, he escape. pretty much fell on concrete, so yeah. But uh, but yeah. I mean, obviously, it wasn't that high because he he didn't he snuff himself out, as he says. Yeah, yeah, he survives. 
He's like, oh, it's broken, but not snuffed. Then uh, and now, now suddenly he's the victim. We we start getting all those headlines about the the, the unethical treatment of this this poor soul that was uh, tortured and driven to suicide. Uh, and I I think my my favorite thing about the end, like the final, uh, you know, him being in the hospital, is that it turns out the so what happened to the writer? Oh, we we put him somewhere where he'll never bother people again. And he asks again, like, so what happened to him? And that guy's just like, oh, he's just somewhere where he's never going to be a problem ever he's again. He's never like, going to hurt you ever again. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll protect you now, which it's, uh, yeah. It's like one he's of the, clearly in the prison system somewhere. Yeah, or or probably just dead, <laughs> which uh, which is great because, uh, you know, the the one true victim in this whole film, which was this guy that got brutally attacked, and they're just like, uh, make that guy disappear. Although they do, which they do describe him as being a uh, that he writes uh, subversive ideals. So it's it seems like one of those like they were just looking for an excuse to to make him disappear, and this is like a good a good reason to make him go away and not uh, not spread any new any new bad words about the government. I do like the the government uh, politician that comes in at the end and basically makes a deal with him like, uh, you won't talk too poorly about us and we'll make sure that you get a good job that's good good paying. And it's like, what kind what of job? job? How much? Yeah, and he's like, uh, something that will well compensate you for all the pain that you've been through. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, uh, there's a lot in that final... Uh... Him the final moments of him. It's really creepy. Him, get, him getting fed's hilarious. Uh, when he plays the word association game, and he's clearly still psychotic. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> when they're, but like at first when they, uh, when she gives him the first one, he's like, uh, "My that bird has nice plumage," and he's like, oh, "That bird has nice plumage," and she's like, "Don't take too long. Just, just whatever comes to mind." He's like, "The cabbage that doesn't have feathers." Oh, <laughs> just starts screaming. <laughs> It doesn't have a beak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then they come busting in with those like speakers and that photo shoot, essentially. Uh, the only hint that you get that he's still being guarded is that cop that obviously was sitting inside his room. You only see it from far away where he gets up and he gives the politician a few moments alone with Alex. Yeah. Also, also love we uh, we went past the the moment when he's he's first waking up and you just hear him like snoring and every you hear like snore and then you just hear oh it's <laughs> just hear snoring you're like you're like is that him making oh, yeah. that sound and then when the when the nurse and the doctor like bust out from behind that curtain uh, undressed <laughs> he and mo- like he, he, he he's waking and then a woman mo- uh, with the subtitles that's what it says it says Alex moaning woman moaning Alex moaning i thought it was going to be like another patient behind the curtain for a second it's almost yeah it's almost what it feels like it's gonna be but yeah when they just like bust out of there and they're like oh god he's awake we need to help him yeah uh and then yeah we fight that's that's when we get to our big difference which yeah i don't i I, i've read the book and i've seen the movie and i know that there was that extra chapter in the uk version that's like basically that it it somehow did work and he he goes on to have like a normal life and isn't a crazy yeah he's reformed anymore. essentially he's, he's reformed which I feel like I don't know that's like that's like the worst ending is I don't like that version where it's like it's like you know what 
it did work. He did get reformed. I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, it shouldn't work. He was just like violently tortured. Like, you, I mean, like, I think the idea is in the book, though. Uh, I think there's a time jump because I think he has like a family and stuff. Yeah, when it ends, he like gets married so, and he has like kids. So it's like a true, it's like a true reform that comes with age, as opposed to like feeling sick and disgusted when violent thoughts come to his head. Yeah, because I guess the author. Anthony Burgess always thought that reform was possible, no matter like how violent of a person you were. But I like I, when I, it sold I to the United States, they didn't like that. They I don't know why. It's really weird. It's almost the opposite. They didn't like the idea that you could reform a person that's that violent, so they wanted to drop the last chapter. And Burgess said he would do it because he needed the money, so he didn't he didn't argue it. But then uh, you can get into your Kubrick story where he didn't know about this last yeah. chapter. Yeah, that's uh, like every, when I first heard that that somebody told him later on, like, like, oh, that's interesting that you didn't film that last chapter. Like, what last chapter? Oh, you didn't have this version of the book? And he like reads it and he's like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> like just the fact that he that he had the rights to the book, but just was ne- like ne- I, I could see like if he had read it off the shelf in America and didn't know that but the fact that no one along the way at all ever told him like well you know there's like an extra chapter if you if you get the book in in europe or something like that or in the uk like you think he, he would be work with did. somebody from europe that it had been brought up yeah either they, that they or know. they thought oh he doesn't want it he wants it to be darker or something yeah i i like i said i prefer the i prefer the darker ending uh kubrick does too kubrick said that he at the end of the day, he still enjoyed his ending better. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know that. if it had that reform ending, maybe he wouldn't have been interested in doing the the movie. Yeah, that's that's the thing, and I like I I I believe that I guess you know people probably can be reformed in some way, um, but again, it's all it all goes back to that idea of uh, I guess choice, and you know, in his version, Alex chooses to be you know, still just as much of a psychotic, uh, maniac by the end of it. He still, he starts getting his, uh, his fantasies again and isn't getting sick anymore when he thinks about them. Yeah. He gets hot about it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is healed. (laughs) He's back to normal. Yeah. He's back. Yeah. He's back to where he started. I, I do love the ending though. I think it's great where it's just this close up of him doing his fake smiles and then he kind of like spaces out and you think it would, end, it could possibly end very ambiguous right then and there, but it cuts to his fantasy where he's like, I don't know, fucking this girl in the snow with like all these old timey people like <laughs> watching him. And then it cuts to Gene Kelly singing in the rain while the credits roll. Yeah. Which, uh, and that's that seems to be, I think, the the implication at the end that he's probably going to get some sort of like, uh, nice cushy government job that's going to pay him very well. To, to almost like, he it feels like he's just going to turn into like Patrick Bateman. He's just going to have like a really high paying job where he can just like do things by daylight, and then when he goes home at night, he's just going to be a maniac that goes out and murders people. But everyone else is just like, I don't know, the guy seems like a totally normal guy to me. Yeah, either that or he gets away with, I don't know, he's rich enough he's getting away with prostitution or something like that. Yeah, it feels like it feels like one of those where 
uh yeah for the for the rest of his life he'll get away with anything even if the even if the cops wanted to arrest him it's going to be like someone in the government's going to be like oh you can't protect him yeah yeah you you can't he'll he'll say about how it was it was because of our treatment that made him that way or something like that so it's like he's going to be protected for the rest of his life to just do whatever he wants yeah I, yeah. I still recommend reading. I do recommend reading the book. It is a little difficult, though. And the movie's interesting because it takes place in the future. It has kind of a science fiction. It's not the most sci-fi storytelling. I Like, the setting's yeah. a little goofy, but it doesn't really feel hard sci-fi in, in any other way, except for the the program that he goes through, which honestly yeah. doesn't even feel that sci-fi. It, it honestly feels like something you could actually be put through. That's where it's like, it is like something like the warriors where that's again, also supposed to be like uh, a strange futuristic society, but we're not like really shown like they don't have like, it's a future, but it's not like future tech or anything like that. It just takes place in a distant future when things are a little bit, uh, you know, things have gone a little bit further and uh, i mean the car they're driving around is a 95 durango so yeah maybe it's all the 90s maybe it's a 90s film i don't know yeah it's 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 a hard one it is like weird to categorize i feel like that's where it gets put a lot is sci-fi or horror i think i've seen it like it gets categorized as those two things but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily even describe it as either of those. It's not specifically sci-fi and it's also not really a horror film. There's it's pretty of... much like psychological. I I wouldn't even call it a thriller, but Yeah. Hey, I did like I do like when he's in the record shop and they got that 2001 album there. Yeah. Dead Center. Stanley Kubrick's uh hyping up his own his own soundtrack there. Oh, that's what he just came off of. Yeah. 2001 into A Clockwork Orange into Barry Lyndon and then The Shining. It's a good run of films. Honestly, they're all, I still like, I'll stand by what I say. The Killing through Eyes Wide Shut, they're all great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think you need to adopt the look of the Droogs. It is a very distinctive look. You gotta start wearing like the padding on the outside of your clothes. Yeah. Just gotta be ready for a for a fight at any time. You gotta have your knife cane with you. Yeah. If there if there's any one piece of uh <laughs> You gotta have your eyelashes underneath your eyes. Uh, and your snake. Yeah. That's I think that's the most childish he was when he was like, "Where's my snake?" <laughs> Sorry, your snake so, yeah. died, so, son. Your snake met uh, an unfortunate accident. Yeah, the parents take him back. I guess they I guess they told Joe, "Get out of here. We're, we're getting our son back." Yeah. Well, they just felt terrible, though. I mean, I don't think what Alex did was a an act like Joe said. I felt like he genuinely felt like he had a home to go back to that he didn't. Uh, was he deserving of good parents? I don't know. Maybe they weren't that good of parents. Not to throw everything on them, but he was living in a pretty shitty environment. You saw how, how his entire place looked to get into. 
Yeah, couldn't even and take then, the elevator up. Yeah, and then they didn't care about him. Like his his parents really didn't care what he was into. When they had that one discussion about him, and they, and they say, "Oh, he's not going to go to school again." His dad's like, "Oh, okay." They didn't they didn't yeah. really care for him. So I'm going to say it's entirely entirely their fault. Yeah, they de- they definitely uh, ruined him. And it's weird too, because if he was really in some sort of juvenile school or something like that, like a boot camp, I, I don't know. It seems pretty relaxed, besides having a parole officer. Yeah, that just shows up every once in a while. Yeah, you don't think he would be back home, right? Then you think he would be at like a boarding school situation or something. Now he's a lead, he's the leader of the gang. These are all the questions that we don't get answered in this film. I mean, you don't really need the answers. No. These are just those little details that that uh, that we just don't know. But uh, yeah, overall, uh, it's it has this question about. I I guess the science fiction aspect of it it doesn't feel too far fetched, but. Is it right to condition violence out of somebody, even though it's something society looks down on? Because, yeah. I mean, the book kind of gets, is kind of put up there with something like 1984, where it's like, has it gone too far? And it's kind of weird to be like, has it gone too far when this is a character that's raped and murdered people? That's our main character. I, I, it's hard to get more despicable of a character. Yeah, not, uh, not too often that you see. And yeah, that, that. But <laughs> it is weird that you still, like, I don't know. You still do somewhat feel like you feel bad for him when he is getting like just <laughs> assaulted and beat up like constantly after he, uh, after he goes to the treatment, uh, and is just left that he just like he literally can't protect himself. Like, if a uh, if somebody tried to come up and and fight him or attack him he literally can't defend himself because it'll make him sick to even think about trying to trying to fight i mean that. everybody that fights him essentially says you deserve this yeah and it really is weird because even when you get to the the like the fourth one we'll say parents the homeless the the droogs that are cops and now back to the writer's house at the writer's house like where he's he's actually has had the conditioning turned against him into torture and he doesn't uh it's not unwarranted like he does kind of deserve it i still not really 100 percent sure if they thought he was going to jump though like i don't know if that was the idea I mean, if so we he, don't have to worry about that guy anymore. Yeah. He's somewhere where he can't hurt anybody anymore. <laughs> He's no longer, a, no longer a problem. Probably in the river. He yeah. just couldn't stand. He just couldn't stand up like the others. <laughs> yeah, they mentioned New York at some point, so I can't remember if it's supposed to take place in New York. Although it seems very I mean, British, has British accent. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where it's supposed. They're to like place, the Dark Beatles. The dr- yeah.
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's going to take... I'm sure it takes place there of some sort. The architecture looked British. Like, it looked like London. But I don't know anything. They didn't have a lot of sets in this either. I mean, they pretty much shot that same on the river scene, like, five times. <laughs> hey, you go back to... Uh keep going with what works for you there were also a couple cues when they were musical cues when they were taking them out to the woods that reminded me of the shining i enjoyed the score for this movie in general that uh that weird synth music that they put in where he's getting beat up there like uh every time he gets hit with the the, the baton yeah it's like they do that like wow 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 <laughs> there's literally somebody just timing it up with every time he's beat yeah. A lot of, a lot can of you synthesize those smacks? I can do whatever you want. It's fucking John Carpenter behind there. Yeah. We can make anything happen. Yeah, I don't know. There's. I mean, it does get classified as science fiction, I would say, probably more than anything. I don't see horror, horror too much. Is it his only one that was rated X? I think so. Well, Eyes Wide Shut technically has what well, has that has an unrated version, but I don't know that it was ever like an like, NC seventeen, and all they yeah. did was take out. Uh, well, they didn't even take out the scene; digitally, they just digitally, digitally added people the, to, to cover it up. Put the put the weird people, or the CGI. People well, it's kind of weird too because that movie when they're ha when they're walking around like the weird um, sex orgy club or whatever. A lot of them are like doing the weird poses and shit that that are be are, are at the milk bar, like what the statues are and yeah. stuff are doing. <laughs> Even like the hair and the wigs and the masks and it's it's really weird how I mean that this movie plays into Eyes Wide Shut pretty strong. Maybe the maybe the strongest. I don't really Yeah. Yeah, I would say probably stronger than anything else. Oddly, A Clockwork Orange falls into Eyes Wide Shut pretty strongly. <laughs> but man, I do I do wish we had more movies. I feel like we were definitely robbed. Yeah, we, we at least deserve to get that Napoleon movie. And could've he been, took his time between these movies. I, I think we said on the last episode, I think between... Um, Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut, that's like his longest break between making movies. And any time that he so, made a movie, he worked on it for several years. Uh, I mean, the fastest one's probably like The Killing, because he, he made it like a year after Killer's Kiss, I think. Uh, and then there started being like a couple years breaks between them. But I, I think his filmography's yeah. pretty solid. That's why like, he ends up... It, it like slowly I don't gets know longer and longer. Yeah, if that's just like his, just in his nature, because yeah, it's like yeah, a year between Killer's Kiss and the Killing, then then a year between that and Paths of Glory, then three years between Spartacus, two years between Lolita, two years between Strange Love, four years between Space Odyssey, three years to Clockwork Orange, four years to Barry Lyndon, five years to The Shining, seven years to Full Metal Jacket. And, and some of them like, shut. and some of them like, two thousand and one. He was starting to work on that almost immediately. 
So it just took that long to do everything, to make everything. And he's a perfectionist. And I think it's almost unheard of now to think of a movie that's in production for longer than a year. Yeah. I mean, things get shelved, but it's very rare to be like, oh, they're working on the new Marvel movie. Haven't they been filming it for five years? Well, yeah, but uh, it's a Stanley Kubrick movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's going to be perfect. You got to take your time with it, which, yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't think a lot of studios would want to put up that much money and know that they're not going to have a product for five years. Yeah. That's that's something and I don't know. There's something about the I don't I don't know of anyone else that we've kind of talked in the, the past episodes that we've been doing for him. Um about like anybody else that's like that was that meticulous that it took them like years to work on just one project and you know obviously having these large gaps of just thinking about it trying to get it started i mean there's you know we, we talked about david fincher who's a perfectionist but it still feels like he gets movies out in a faster time he, he doesn't just sit there and he sticks to his schedule yeah. yeah he doesn't he doesn't just sit there and like start obsessing over every detail and trying to get everything perfectly right uh he does but he does it on set and he gets fucking pissed at everybody yeah makes everyone angry but uh yeah you go back to like i mean if you look at working in you know a, a similar time period of someone like hitchcock who just cranked films out like sometimes multiple films a year now are they all on the same level of kubrick's film not every single one of them you know he has some he definitely has some some weaker entries there but just that and i like i don't think i wouldn't say that that hitchcock was just like blowing it off or just like not trying or something i would say he was i I think he was still very much a perfectionist and wanted everything to be done perfectly but i don't know if he just had like that workmanlike mentality of like nope gotta gotta start a movie and i gotta get it done and i'm gonna get it done and i'm gonna start working on the next one next year like he was just cranking films out at like such a pace that he. i mean you might not like the comparison to it but Hitchcock's approach to making movies actually makes me think of Woody Allen a lot because Woody Allen was the same. He was just cranking them out, cranking them out. And you know what? Every couple films he had like a really fucking good one. And I don't know what it is. If it's just like they're trying to work, work on something. Cause if you look at a lot of Hitchcock's movies, a lot of the themes are like he, he gets obsessed about, you know, the wrong man being accused of something. Yeah. And I saw somebody say the other day, they're like, I just wish we had that again. It's been so long where a protagonist, like a protagonist is always like a superhero of some sort or overpowered. Like, I just want somebody thrown into it that has no idea what the fuck's going on. Like, I want another one of those movies. I also did see recently, too, that I don't know what Francis Ford Coppola is working on. He's working on something big. He's coming back. I think he said it's like a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Robin Williams is dead, and I'm pretty sure Jack was like dying at the end of that movie. Um, it was about a, a kid that aged rapidly. Anyways, he said that it's like a hundred and twenty million dollar budget, and no studio put up the money. He put up his own money, and he's like, "Yeah, I got the money. I'm just gonna use my money." And you know what? There's more where that came from. <laughs> it's probably from all his fucking wine that he sells. Yeah. 
That sounds more like a threat than a promise. Yeah, well, his last couple mo- movies, I think, were like extremely low budget. Like, wasn't it Tideland? And he did a bunch that's, of weird that's Terry ones. Gilliam. Like, oh shit! What did Coppola do that was like a couple years ago around the same time? I don't know. I know he's worked. I, 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 I'm gonna be pretty confident in saying Jack was the last of his films that I've probably seen. Probably. Uh, you know, I, I think that I'm the same. I'm gonna look him up for real quick. Like I, 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 I agree really that that's probably that. the last one that I saw, but I think that. Oh, so okay, so Megalopolis is like his big one that he's working on right now that he's putting up all the money for. It's a very big project. It has to do about the aftermath and reconstruction of New York City after a mega disaster. Kind of like a September 11th type thing. All right, Francis. But his... uh, He did something. Oh. Youth Without Youth he did. Yeah, Youth Without Youth, Tetro, Twixt. Like, these are probably when we were in, like, Hollywood video. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? But, yeah, Jack is probably the last one that we I've actually watched. Unless I saw Youth Without Youth. I don't remember. I don't. I doubt it. But, I mean, honestly, even though his last couple films you haven't watched or heard of, and the last one that you did hear of was terrible. This is the guy that did The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two, and Apocalypse Now. So he wins. I mean, but but is he, uh, like, I, I almost wonder, is he the person that, that Tarantino's looking at as being like, I don't <laughs> he probably, that guy? He probably is, I'd I, assume. I feel like... I feel like he doesn't want to be mean to like anyone that's still alive. Like he he brings up people that are dead. Like he's like, oh, Hitchcock's last few movies were terrible, and Billy Wilder's movies weren't good when he was old, and Howard Hawks' movies weren't. Good I mean, he, he is old. right. He it, he is. Um, but I still look at like Scorsese, and I think his he's getting up there in age, and his movies are still good. Yeah. And I and I don't think that everything that. Clint Eastwood makes is great, but if he make he makes me think of that Hitchcock Woody Allen mentality where it's just film, 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 and you know you could laugh at Cry Macho, but then enjoy something else that he did. You know, you might be like American Sniper, kicked ass. Yeah, yeah there was something that they were talking about. They, I can't remember who it. Oh, it was Euphoria, the show Euphoria. They were talking about like how long the shoots were because uh oh, was it Sam Levinson? I'm trying to remember who's the the show creator for that. He apparently had like like really long hours, like 16 hour days, which honestly aren't that that unusual. But he didn't have a shot list. He would just go in and kind of make things up on the spot. So it took them how long to get this, the shots and everything set up. And someone was like, yeah, you make fun of the fake baby in Clint Eastwood's movie, but he fucking had everybody out of there. 
in like an eight hour day. He was like, "It's that's enough. Let's go home." You know, and it's still a good movie even with that big fucking baby. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I guess overall, since this is our last Kubrick film, and we talked about him in great detail, I uh, I don't necessarily. I know he's ha he has an idea like this perverse idea that he wants to put on the screen. He all he he wants to be like, I I mean I think he would have thrived in modern times if he was still here now in twenty twenty two. Because he liked to discuss what other people didn't want to discuss. He he wanted to put things on film that people were uncomfortable talking about, and. It's it's not just I know I know I said sexual too, but it's not just the the sexual side of things. Like take Full Metal Jacket and the way that they're treating these guys in basic training. I mean, his commentary on war, his 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 commentary on technology. He he's just it's things that bothered him. I feel or feel things that he felt that he needed to, to talk about. And maybe that's why he took so much time doing these movies. You just made me you made me think of him as like a like a Larry David. He's just talking <laughs> about things that bother him. Yeah. He's just working out those those uh those things that inconvenience him and he just in general doesn't like. Well, I guess it's kinda like Pixar said how they work on a movie for four years. It better be something that they're enjoying to do. Like it better be something that they want to make because they're spending so much time with it. Uh, yeah, and I mean, after he made Eyes Wide Shut and he and he locked down his cut, he died three days later. So, I mean, any filmmaker can go at any moment. I mean, even some that we're unaware of. In, like, 2012, we lost Wes Craven, and he was relatively young, and we didn't know that he had, like, brain cancer or whatever he was dealing with. It was just, like... He had made Scream 4 the year before, and then he was gone. Yeah. Um, but now a lot of people are up there, like Spielberg. He's in his 70s, I think. He's almost in his 80s. And he's slowing down because he took three years to make uh, West Side Story. <laughs> I don't know if he's really slowing down. Yeah, he I mean, still has the skill, though. Like, I know they said... I know we're not talking about him, but he's good buddies with... Kubrick so we can it works it's allowed to be in the Kubrick episode he's got his sixth directing nomination in six decades he's had a nomination in every single decade and I saw West Side Story and I thought it was fucking great so he's still a strong director like he's still a strong storyteller yeah that's I feel like I don't know I do feel like him and him and Scorsese might be too that it's like like yeah, they're they're gonna die, and it's gonna be like, oh, he still had like three movies that he was working on. Like it's the, yeah, it's not gonna be, like they're not gonna retire. They're gonna be. They're I can't gonna be tell you the number of films that Scorsese has been like. Yeah, I'm gonna direct that. Yeah, it, but he he does so many of them that you're like, there's no, like, how's he gonna do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, that's that's happened. That uh, 
we, we talked about Hitchcock. That's what happened with him. He was like, he was still working up until he died. Like he was still, he still had plans for like, okay, what's movie 53 going to be or whatever, whatever he was actually up to. When he, That's when like he Orson Welles also. He was like voicing a Transformers movie and then died. And oh, They do some weird things like that. I know for a while after John Candy died, he was like tied to some animated film. They like had some of his voice work for it. I think it did that come happened, out eventually. It happened with him, and then um, uh, Chris Farley like started recording for Shrek. Oh yeah, like they actually have the footage of that of, of him doing it. It's like I love Chris Farley, but it's like it's uh, that's Mike Myers' voice is like so ingrained into that character that you just hear it with Chris Farley's voice coming out of it, and you're just like. No, there's something to do about it. Like, like you, you just had that. You heard Mike Myers doing that Scottish accent for so long. And you're just like, oh, there's something off-putting about not his voice coming out of Shrek. But if you went to a parallel dimension in a movie, like you'd have yeah. the Chris Farley Shrek. Yeah. Uh, and what would he be up to? What would he be doing? Beverly Hills Ninja Two. This, this turned into us just like talking about dead people that in the film industry that, that are here. I mean, our last set of directors is still alive, and yeah. this one and our next are not no longer with us. <laughs> yeah. So I think legacy is kind of important. Yeah. I mean, do you know what's going to be your last movie? No. I. Yeah, I know what you're talking about with Tarantino where he like he wants to like not end on a bad film, but I also feel like if he did end on a terrible film, no one would really care all that much. You know, they'd go they'd be more interested in his films that they liked if it were good. And what's his bad film gonna be? Like I, I don't I get he said something like he didn't want to make movies when he's after older than 60 or something and he just had a daughter so he wants to like focus on being a dad which I think is more commendable but I don't see why he couldn't write and like how he was writing that Star Trek uh, script why can't you just write stuff like that and sell it like not direct it He did his Once Upon a Time, which he did say he has that idea for doing, like, I think an, an entire autobiography from the point of view of Rick Dalton, <laughs> where it would like, just be completely written from his point of view. He did say he was thinking about doing plays, too, so I guess he's going the route of Ethan Cohen. Then, it, then if it's bad, it's like, eh, only like 200 people in the city side. So it's the thought process there. It's not the same as a movie. It's not going to last forever. Yeah, I don't know. You were sounding staticky there for a second. So sorry. Maybe, maybe it's gone now. But... We've done almost all half of uh, Kubrick's filmography, and maybe we'll have to come back for a few more. 
Because beyond the four that we just did, we've all already did 2001 and we've already done Eyes Wide Shut. So maybe we're yeah. more than halfway through his filmography. I mean, yeah, kind of the only, like, I mean, the two biggest ones we're missing is like Barry Lyndon, uh, Full Metal Jacket at this point. I mean, obviously, there's still like you know, there's Lolita and Spartacus or Paths of Glory and some of these. For some I think Paths of Glory is a pretty big one. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, maybe we'll revisit it. He'll be the one that we're like, we're just gonna get them all. Yeah, that's our goal, just all of them. Uh, next month we are getting into one of the biggest filmmakers of all time. Probably the most prominent names out there. We mentioned him already on this episode. We're talking about Alfred Hitchcock. I thought you were talking about his weight at first. No. When you say he's the biggest. He's the, he, he really wasn't. Yeah. I've also mentioned Orson Welles. Oh, yeah. That's true. And it's not, not right to be talking about body shaming dead directors on our podcast. <laughs> so I, I don't want any of that said. But yeah, Hitchcock. I mean, he probably uh, body shamed some of his live actors when they were there, but maybe <laughs> he tortured them. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that our continuing theme? Is directors that may or may not have uh, physically tortures and emotionally the traumatized damn. their their uh, actors? Yeah. Well, you didn't say even in this. We were talking about Clockwork Orange. How malcolm mcdowell like his eye was like rigged open for so long that it like yeah it, it injured him like permanently injured his eye yeah. to make your favorite cooper movie make it. and you know shelly duvall just had to get uh pushed around to make your favorite Kubrick movie so you know yeah she just had to lose her uh she just had to become mentally ill i guess yeah those are the sacrifices Kubrick was willing to make for our entertainment. Yeah, I mean, he almost killed people in 2001, so I guess it's, uh, it's a dangerous set to be on. But yeah, we're moving into Hitchcock. Hitchcock's made 53 movies. We're discussing four of them. Actually, we're going to discuss five of them. Yeah. Put a little bonus treat in there, I guess doubling up one of them hopefully it's a treat we'll see we'll see what it, it becomes we've asked people to be on it uh, it's their specialty we'll see if they if they do it or if they let us down <laughs> we're used to being let down but Chuck that was a good month I think March is going to be just as good I'm excited about all the films we're talking about but like I said, we could end up doing four or five or six Hitchcock months easily and still not have run through everything. Maybe when we're on our final leg, if we decide to end the podcast, we're going to be like, fuck it. We're going to finish all the Hitchcock movies. That's one that, that should have just been our entire year. It would have just it would have literally just been one a week for an entire year. <laughs> it would have. It really would have been because... Yeah, it would have to, unless we did double up some of the ones like we're going to do on this one. Yeah. The Hitchcock Podcast. Yeah, but just for this year. Yeah, then what do we switch to? I don't know. There's not many other people that have 50 films, though. 
talk about. Yeah, then, then the next year's the Woody Allen podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, might not be go over so well. We'll see. We can still cover him one month. We'll, we'll see how we're feeling after uh, our fourth month that we've planned out. See if we want to take a break or how we want to change things up. I mean, we're not done. We're not going to be done after the fourth one, but do we want to continue doing directors? I still feel pretty good after two. Yeah. All right. We're Cinema DeMore. Thanks for listening. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm at JJMorgan19 on Twitter. Chuck? Chuck1966. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. That's where you get all our cool ads. And I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna make Chuck make the ones for Clockwork Orange. So, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks.